Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is the famous, the tenacious, the on his way to being a multiple-time billion-sold, 1.7-plus, going to 5 billion with a B, Tim Herridge. He is a absolute workhorse. He's a stallion. He's a guy with integrity, a former Marine. I've known him for a long time. I know he probably doesn't realize I've known him for so long. I talk about how I met him like 13 years ago at the REI Expo and just knew that that guy was going to do really big things. He's bought and sold multiple companies, created a ton of wealth over time, gotten back in the game as one of the faces of RCN Capital. So right now, I always say fundability drives a market. And when you're somebody who's doing 7,000 plus loans for investors every single year, you know what's happening in the market. And in a transitioning market right now, the lenders have all the data, they hold all the cards. So we talk a lot about what's happening in the market and how you go from a place when you when you grew up with a family and you're really not making money, you're not around successful people, not around entrepreneurs. How do you go from that background to somebody that eventually becomes doing billions of dollars in sales, building and growing and selling multiple companies, doing six figures over and over again, month after month, doing hundreds and hundreds of real estate transactions, over 3,000, I think, doors over his time. So the guy's just a workhorse. He does everything the right way. He does it with the right intention. And I've watched him and been a fan of his for a long time. So watching how you come from that to still never being satisfied, having all the ins and outs of being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, scaling growth problems, how to stay to keep money, how to make people happy, how to smell the roses, celebrate the wins. We talk about all the mindset stuff. Then we go into what's happening right now in the market. Definitely stick around for the second half of the podcast because we go deeper into some of the stats of what you should be doing right now, how you should be investing, what types of things he's seeing as a lender to make you more fundable and what his play would be right now if he was you guys looking to borrow money from him. What would he invest in? How would he run his numbers? So Awesome stuff as always. Definitely check out all the show notes to connect with Tim, with his podcast, with his brand, and with RCN Capital. Tell him the A-Game Podcast sent you over. And while you're doing that, please remember, go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, and see all the ways to subscribe to this podcast. So when you go online, you'll see that this podcast is available everywhere, including YouTube. So whether you listen, whether you watch, the way we keep getting amazing guests like Tim Herridge on is by you guys listening, subscribing, leaving reviews. So please, I ask you, click a button, go on our website, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. That really goes a long way for the algorithms. If you really have an extra minute, leave a five-star review, especially on Apple iTunes. It makes things go a long way. And of course, when you're on nicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, you'll see all the ways to connect with me on social media as well. So please make sure you're doing that Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it might be, and interact and engage. So the fee for this show to have amazing guests keep coming on is when I do post clips from amazing people like Tim, please like them, share them, leave a comment, leave a message, leave a question, tag a friend. Everybody's scrolling all day on social media. Anyway, if I'm not popping up in your algorithms on your feed, search me out so that way I start to pop up a little bit. It's a whole other problem lately with Instagram, but please act, interact, whatever it might be. Let the guests know that you appreciate their content so they continue to come on and bring you their A-game week after week after week. And of course, the biggest thing here is I want to do real estate together. Whether you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, or find a way to partner or talk about how we can work together, DM me on Instagram, write the words real estate, or just text me at 516-540-5733 for all the ways that we can connect 
and find out how we can work together and do some real estate together this year, residential, commercial, whatever it might be. That's the, really the goal here. And last but certainly not least, if you would like to get a free checklist on how to bring more values to your buyers, go to nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets for all the ways to connect on that as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Tim Harridge, for coming on. Been a fan for a long time. Really looking forward to connecting with you again. Shout out to Matt Andrews again for his amazing mastermind. Everybody have a fantastic day. Tim Harridge, A-Game Podcast, RCM Capital. Have a great day. All right. My guest today is a former intelligence officer and sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps and is a middle child of three who has now turned entrepreneur, speaker, and real estate investor fighting out of Dallas, Texas. He has founded, grown, and successfully sold multiple businesses, including the REI Expo, B2R Finance, and many others. He has done flips, wholesale deals, creative deals, and has acquired over 1,300 properties in his time as a real estate investor and is now a podcast host and is specializing in focusing on raising funds. He's participated and or owns $100 million worth of assets with the goal to become a billionaire. He has risen on top of everything he's done, committed to, including in the military and out of the military, including being the number one home investors franchise in the entire country, and along the way has never sacrificed his integrity and stayed true to his mantra of principles above all. He is now the executive director of RCN Capitals with uh, an impressive billion dollars in sales, father, husband, model American, and my guest today on the A-Game Podcast. Please welcome Tim Herridge. Nick, thank you, man. Dude. Really happy to have you here, man. That was a little bit of a mouthful. I, I spilled over a little bit over there with the, it's it's weird. It's a, a billion. Like it almost looks like it's, it's wrong to say. How does it feel to have that like in, in your bio that over like 1.7 billion, I think you've done? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you take my whole career, it's probably over three. Um, we'll do one, we'll do one, five, one, seven this year. Uh, and it's, it is fun to say that. And then need to go back and delineate. Oh, that's a billion, not million. <laughs> billion, right. Uh, but no, man, I mean, it's fun. I never thought that I'd be doing things this large, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, God's been good to me and uh, just keep following the same path of, uh, of put, make yourself uncomfortable uh, and be willing to fail forward. That's awesome, man. We there's like a million different directions. One thing that I love about guests like you is I've I've listened to you on a lot of other podcasts. I've been following you for a very long time. And almost every podcast I listen to is a completely different topic and a different direction. So you have so many different things we can touch on on so many different businesses. But for anybody who's not a hundred percent familiar with you yet, can you give a thirty thousand foot view of who you are and where you came from? Yeah. So uh Tim Harris, I'm the executive director at RCN Capital. That's my day job. Uh, I've been an investor for 23 years now. I still actively buy, wholesale, rehab, fix and flip, and build my rental portfolio in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, actually, if you're looking at the video, over the chair over there is where my lead manager sits. Um, uh, I actually went on a buy call appointment last week and went and uh, actually bought a house myself, which is the first time in like two years. But I digress. Uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, Put my resume on a militaryhire.com website, got hired as a, prop, a project manager for a local home flipper, did that for a year or two, moved on to wholesaling, moved on to a partnership with a local hard money lender where we, we were owner financing properties, then met my wife, we bought a Homevestors franchise, well, she was actually owned the franchise before I met her, but when we got married, I joined that, and uh, almost lost everything in 2008. Um, came out of it uh, without having a foreclosure, without having bankruptcy, and still married, which uh, <laughs> was a lot 
more than most of my friends. Uh, that was a really tough time on families uh, and, and business people. And, uh, you know, then I started this little thing called the REI Expo that was only ever intended to be a Dallas-based real estate investor trade show. And Nick, I got to tell you, that was the, the, the creation that kind of put me on the national map. Um, after the first one, the net in 2011, then in 2012, we did two, one in Dallas, one in Houston. In 2013, we went national, uh, you know, did uh, California, Chicago, uh, Chicago uh, Baltimore, and Dallas. And through that, I met this attorney that did the contracts for the five-star conference here in Dallas, the big default REO conference. She introduced me to uh, this guy named Ed Delgado that runs the five-star conference as a good speaker on single family investments. When I spoke at the five-star conference, I met my first billionaire, the founder of Invitation Homes, the guy that, you know, recreated, you know, bought 80 something thousand houses. Um, and he said they wanted to start a lending company and asked me to join and help them get it going. And that was B2R Finance. Uh, and that was, I thought I was kind of playing at a high level nationally. I mean, my last REI Expo had like 1,800 people there. Like it was, it was a big conference. Um, but when you show up on Park Avenue uh, and you go to the 43rd floor of the Blackstone building and it's two-story mahogany walls. And I mean, it, it was just surreal and a uh, funny, funny story. Uh the meeting was only 15 minutes and like they put me back in the elevator and said, I can tell you more about it later. And, and I, I get in the elevator and I call my wife when I'm down. I'm like, I'm done. And she's like, well, what did you do wrong? I was like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but that was my first indoctrination into uh, big dollars and how money uh, acts quickly. Um, ran that for a couple of years, grew it to a billion in sales. Uh, then it was done building. It was time to maintain. And I'm not a maintainer. I'm a builder. So it was time to leave that, um, formed a couple companies here in Dallas. Uh, some actually were unsuccessful between like 2015 or 2016 and 2020. Uh, some were wildly successful. Uh, we took Finance of America, we beat to our finance, became Finance of America, took that public in 2021. The founder and CEO of RCN is a really good friend of mine, Jeff Tesh. I've been borrowed, I've borrowed $10 million from him, uh, up until that point, and he called me and said, why don't you join and uh, help me grow the company? And I said, no. Uh, and um, he said, why not? I said, man, I, I've, I've had enough of that national, because uh, I, was, I was functionally retired, right? I mean, we got our investments, we were making money. Um, and he said, Tim, well, let's figure it out. You've got to know what, you know, and my wife has taught me, when you know what you don't want, you know what you want. And um uh, I just told Jeff, I was like, if I did it, it would be need to look like this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and it's going to cost you this. And then he said, no. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, a, a couple months later, we got back together and uh, it felt right. It was time to do something significant again. Uh, and it's been an 18 month uh, uh, rapid fire of getting my name back out there and getting back involved in the more elite circles, not just hanging out with my kids, eating barbecue. Uh, but uh, it's been great. Uh, we're growing in this crazy market. We grew 20% in a year where interest rates doubled, right? That's that's hard to do as a lender. Uh, 
uh, we're growing this year another 10 or 20%. And I mean, the goal is to get to 5 billion, Nick. So I'm not even halfway to the goal. So we've got a lot of work to do. Man, I love that on so many levels. And just a, a touch point there. I know you come across a lot of people, but I, I've known you for a very long time and I'm passing and I was at two of your REI expos. So I, I met you way back in the day. I think one of the first ones in Dallas. And then I was at the one in Baltimore. And um, I, I met some of my lenders there that lent us probably a few million dollars over the course of the next year or two after that. So I remember watching you put that thing on at that point. And I was still a little bit new and inexperienced in just the industry. And I, I remember being like, man, that guy's impressive. Like he's got his stuff together. And, you know, I've been a fan ever since, man. So I've been watching your career for a long time. So it's really cool. I've, I've always been watching you and like rooting for you to win, man. So it's really good to see you on top. And anybody who's known you for that long knew that there was going to be no doubt that you were going to rise to the top or whatever you committed to. Well, thank you, man. That means a lot. Definitely, man. Now, touching on that, though, I, I'm always interested in the mindset part of this because knowing your backstory a little bit, you didn't come from a family that was necessarily like financially independent. And there was a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. And I find a lot of the time that when people grow up with that, that's what they believe is possible. And I would love to know what shifted in you to give you the confidence when you grow up in a certain financial or economic environment to then go on and say like, look, I'm not satisfied at $1.7 billion. That's not what the average bear does. Where, where did that switch for you? How did you get the confidence to know that you could achieve these things? You know, I give a lot of credit to my high school football coaches. Um, you know, we were a small 3A high school and they knew like kind of, they knew it, they knew us, they knew everything about us. And you know, Kevin Rush would have us over to his house and feed us and we'd watch film. You know, um, I was a little bit of a of a, an S head in school, man. Uh, I'll never forget after football season was over, I was flunking out and I had attendance issues. Um, I, you know, God, man, we could go to the tragedy of my senior year. A kid was killed by lightning on the football field. I uh, had another kid commit, another one of my friends commit suicide. Then my grandfather died. Then my parents got divorced, right? And I had attendance issues. I, I just wouldn't show up. I just, you know, uh, and, and my mom just had no control over me. Um, but then, you know, I got sent to the principal's office one day. And I remember I was expecting the principal who I could care less for. And Kevin shows up in there, right? With tears in his eyes. And just like grabs me by the collar and puts me up against the wall. And he's like, you know, what are you doing? And you know, then, and he made a big impact, but they, it wasn't enough. I didn't really course correct until um, I joined the Marine Corps. And uh, it's not, I did not join the Marine Corps out of some sort of like amazing commitment to servitude or any, I mean, it would be really easy to feed you that line right now. Um, we were at a party about three months after graduation, which I didn't even graduate on time. I had to graduate out of summer school because of my attendance issues. Um, uh, and um, <laughs> we're at this party, my buddy Brian goes, man, so-and-so, I don't even remember who it was. He just got out of the Navy boot camp and he's wearing his Navy uniform. And he goes, man, he's pulling all the chicks. We should join the Navy. And uh, I said, if I joined anything, it would be the Marines. And if you're looking at the video, you see my grandfather's flag above me. Uh, he's someone that was one of the most impactful human beings in my life. Uh, he actually died my senior year and he, and my buddy Brian goes, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, all right. And like the next day we joined, it, it was, I joined open contract. I didn't even have a job, uh, in the Marine Corps. And then I took the test and I scored rather high on, on, a, on the entrance test. 
And they said, what do you want to be? I said, you know, Marine. They were like, well, you got to pick a job. I was like, what, what can I pick? They showed me the list. They said, anything. Like, uh, and they were getting a quota right at the time to fill the intel positions. So they told me this one is like being James Bond. And I was like, well, hell yeah, because he had the cool cars and the chicks. <laughs> right. Uh, so I chose Intel. It was nothing like I imagined. Uh, I did that for five years. And somewhere along the way, you have a shift. And, and, and if I had to pinpoint it, it was when we were in East Timor, Indonesia, on a peacekeeping mission. And uh, it was actually technically peace enforcement, not peacekeeping, because there was no peace. We were there to establish it. Uh, we're on this patrol, and we've got our weapons pointed out, and this kid's running up, and you know we're worried about IEDs and all that, and we're screaming at him, and he just he's coming up to us, and uh, he starts making the motion like he's hungry, um, and, and we tell the guys to stand down, and then uh, we gave him. I can't remember if it was me or my or my corporal next to me. We gave him a cracker, and I just remember watching this kid take this MRE cracker, which is the world's worst cracker. It's cardboard, but not. Uh, it's four inch by four inch. And he takes it and he kind of runs back to his siblings and breaks it up and they share this shitty cracker. Uh, and I don't know, man, I, I, I picture that still once a week, Nick. It, it's, it's a bad day in this country is most people in the world's best dream. And uh, so when I got out, I just, I wanted to work hard and make money, you know, and uh, uh, I actually sold life insurance for a year. And where I got hooked was that first time I made like $6,000 in a week uh, selling life insurance because the year before I'd been a sergeant in combat making $1,810 a month, Right. And all of a sudden, I just kind of had this, man, I will never let someone tell me what my time is worth again. And uh, that was that was it. And then the rest is, uh, you know, uh, I'm just a Marine, dude. Like, the job's never done. Uh, uh, I, I, take, I took some time off. I neglected my family kind of in the early entrepreneurial years. Um now I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the mature 40 year old in the room. Uh, I have a good balance. Uh, I work from home. I'm at all my son's events. If I miss it, it's for something very, very important. But uh, you know, I take him to school every morning. I'm making breakfast. Uh, I'm here when he gets home from school. Uh, I don't miss important things, but I'm also teaching them good work ethic, uh, which I think is, is is valuable. So, I mean, that's kind of that's what drives me. I love my family. I had kind of a messy family growing up. I don't want them to have a messy family. Um, if you read Ed Milet's book, The One, uh, or The Power of One More, um, he talks about being the one in, in your family. And, you know, I am the one, right? I, I have single-handedly changed the trajectory of my family and my last name. And uh, I'm very proud of that. The work's not done. Um, but... Uh, yeah, man, that's that's what drives me. It's an incredible story, man. I'm very sorry for your loss and for those tough years, but obviously you you don't let anything stop you. And I think what we were talking about before we started recording was 20 plus years of, you know, you got to that point that you get to be somebody who's selling billions with a B, which is just insane. But to sit there and be like, you know, I got here by doing a lot of stuff wrong and then a lot of stuff right. 
And I think that entrepreneurial journey, everybody looks at the Instagram stuff or they look at Tim killing it with all these businesses or he starts these businesses and he sells them for all this money and they just see sunshines and roses. And I don't know why I tell everybody there's no businesses that you would start today with virtually no prior experience and expect to be financially free in six months. But for whatever reason with real estate, people go, oh, no, no, no. Like I watched a YouTube video. I'm going to be a multimillionaire in six months and it's just going to be easy. I got to post it. And it's not like that. When things get hard, they quit and they want to go for somewhere else. So they just want to point fingers. And I think the really the biggest thing of being successful in anything is just not quitting when things get hard. You know, like jujitsu, every good jujitsu school you go to on the wall, it says a black belt is just a white belt who came back tomorrow after they got their butts kicked or whatever it is. So how have you like learned from those lessons? How do you keep yourself calm and motivated when you're having those bad days or those life lessons, or just, it feels like you're getting your ass kicked to get up and just know that there's something else. Because I feel like if I'm not reading it wrong, that's really the, the missing ingredient to what became your recipe for success. Yeah, I love the jujitsu metaphor. Uh, so my youngest son uh, is a purple belt. No, brown belt. I don't remember. Uh, and uh, I've, he's been through Brazilian jujitsu since he was six. Uh, and I love watching it. I love watching it because he's out there on his own. And you can look at the coach all you want when you're in a match, but that coach can't come out there and do the armbar for you, Right. That coach can't help you get, you know, guard. Like it, it's, as a father, it's hard <laughs> as well as rewarding at the same time. Uh, but, you know, not to sound awful, but you can, the only person you can count on every day is yourself. And that's the biggest thing in most people's way is the man in the mirror and or woman. Uh, because it, it's your thoughts, it's your beliefs that, you know, it's the old, if you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. Uh, so, and you learn that in the military, because when you're out there alone in the dark, uh, and you feel like at any point in time, you could die. Like, it could go really wrong really fast. Um, you know, you just learn to rely on yourself. And, and so important for the listeners is, you know, things still go wrong for me. I haven't entered this nirvana world where I'm just the all-knowing Tim and no problems happen, right? Like, I'm involved in a couple of lawsuits right now with HOAs. I've got problems with one of my Airbnbs. Uh, you know, we have strategic growth challenges at RCN Capital. You know, Jerome Powell is not my best friend right now. There's all of these challenges, but I actually was talking to another military guy last night at a happy hour. Uh, I tell myself, look, we're not saving lives here. Right. Like if if I screw up in my business, my children aren't going to die. Right. Like I'm not going to die. Um, so we're not saving lives. Here, right. And. And I'm blessed that even if things go wrong, even if I go bankrupt. I, I still live an amazing life in an amazing country and I can start over and do it again. And so I, I don't know. I just, I just believe so much, I guess, in our country, but I've also been through enough to show me that 
it may seem really bad, but it's probably not. I love that, man. One of my favorite quotes is, I cried when I had no shoes till I met the man with no feet. Yeah, right. I mean, it's true. I mean, I told the team today, like on, on the morning sales call, uh, a customer I met at a conference recently called me on my direct line um, telling me that so-and-so loan officer hadn't called him back in four days and he's got a loan he wants to do with us. And, you know, I went up and to the right. I was not a happy guy to get that phone call. And I just told the team, I'm like, look, I get it. You're busy. I get it. You may think that the loan doesn't have a chance. I get it. You may not even care. You may just be making so much money. But what you can't do is not return the guy's email and not return the guy's phone call. You make me look bad. You make yourself look bad. And you make all of RCN Capital look bad. So that's not your lead anymore. I didn't call the guy out by the name. And I said, you know, but I just told him, you know, it's like, God dang it, you know, just answer the phone. And if you can't, get someone else to call them back. We've got 40 salespeople. Someone had time between Friday and Wednesday to pick up the phone. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just because I've been successful doesn't mean I'm not still learning. All right. So I think that's a really interesting point because people think that they're going to watch a YouTube video and then they're going to go be successful in real estate and they don't have to pay money for like mentorship. And it's all those mistakes of the stuff that like the landmines that we know not to step on. I tell everybody, you watch a, a sporting event, boxing, MMA, football. The first thing somebody says when they get knocked out cold and then they wake up is what happened? It's all the things that they didn't know to look for. And I feel like that's where being in circles with other people who do things bigger, better, faster than we do is always worth cutting that learning curve and cutting those mistakes. And I think when they see somebody like you, they go, well, why would that person ever pay to be in rooms like masterminds or, or even need a mentor. And I feel like it's a never ending journey I'll always want. So how has that helped you stay sane and make better decisions being around people in rooms like family mastermind and boardroom mastermind and all those kinds of things? You know, it's funny, that is such a great point, Nick. If you look right here behind me, there's two awards hanging there for that book. The, the tall one is the biggest giver award from Investor Fuel with Mike Hambright. I'm sorry, that's the tall one's the boardroom. The medal right there is biggest giver at boardroom mastermind. I mean, at my cameras. Um, anyway, the point is, I go to these masterminds and I get the biggest giver award. And people are like, my God, man, you, you stay in the room and you're paying attention to everything and you've got such great feedback. And I'm like, yeah. I said, but I get so much more than I give, right? By being an intentional... I said to someone the other day, I'm still a student of the game, right? And there is something in your business I know I could learn from, right? There is something in your business that could make me better, uh, richer, happier, something, right? And so I go to these masterminds and it is just the most valuable time of the year because I sit there and man, the amount of notes I take. And so I'm always, chiming up, but I'm chiming in because I have experience and wisdom from most of the time from mistakes that can add value to the person that was just open with me, right? And I feel like it's like, I'm weird about this. I feel like it's like this obligation. I owe it to these people to bring my best, to give them feedback because I I, I need it out of them too. And uh, 
I just love these masterminds because it's two days, you're in the room. If you're focused, alert, and aware, you would have to be an absolute moron to not benefit from the knowledge, the wisdom, and the relationships that are shared. I, I couldn't agree with that more. It's it's amazing because I was saying earlier, like when, when I was first going to the RAI Expos 10, 12 years ago, we didn't have things like that. And you literally did feel like you were alone on the island. And now when you come into those rooms and you see that everybody deals with that stuff and they just, yeah, they had these losses, they took these beatings, but another day, another day, you call somebody else and it's just kind of the the life of the entrepreneur. So I know learning from losses to me has like been a massive thing. I know it has for you as well. But another thing that I laughed at before we started recording was you were like, hey man, like we're about to hit like 1.7 billion, but I'm not satisfied. I want to hit five. So we have this gift and this curse as entrepreneurs that like, like we're never satisfied. It's always the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But there's also forgetting to sometimes celebrate the wins and be happy with the accomplishments and tell your team they're doing a good job instead of being like, we hit one seven, now hit one eight. So how do you reset yourself from time to time and let yourself enjoy what you've accomplished before you just go not appreciating how far you've come? So I'm actually getting ready to publish a book. It's a it's kind of funny story. I taught this concept eight years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, at some Maria's around Dallas and did a webinar and with my home investors people, it was a concept I called baseball for real estate. Right. And even though I'm a big football guy, I've been, you know, a uh, football coach uh, a lot, a lot of my life with little league baseball is like the uniform uni universal thing that everybody kind of gets the way it works. Right. It was all about learn the game, learn your position, get a coach, get on a team, train, play the game, know the other players, excel at your role, don't swing for the fence, and then hit the clubhouse. And the hit the clubhouse portion is about, we've all seen these baseball players popping the champagne and ah, like you do celebrate your wins. You've got to celebrate your win. So it's just, you know, we all see it. We all see these baseball players, they win and they go celebrate their win, they pop the champagne and it's fun. And you've got to do that at all levels. Um, and you've got to let your team be proud of what you've accomplished. But you can't over-celebrate, right? So meaning if, if you make 20 grand on your first deal, but it took you six months to do it, right? You don't make 20 grand a month, right? You make 2,500 a month. Uh, and so you don't go buy a $40,000 car thinking that you've now arrived, right? Uh, so you don't overdo the celebration. But the most important thing is, yeah, after they hit the clubhouse is watch the tapes. You've got to watch the tapes. The best competitors, business people, what have you, are people that are willing to analyze and even criticize or critique their performance uh, benchmarked against their goals. Right, because the moment that you think you've arrived, the moment that you no longer go back and do a post-mortem, the moment that you think, oh, I got this nailed, there is someone else out there that's about to pass you, right? They're going to outwork you. They're going to uh, 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 overachieve you. And then just the last step is to play it again, right? Like, you got you to gotta do it. You got to celebrate it. And then you got to analyze what happened. And then you got to do it again. That's kind of the ideology there. And so... I'm all about celebrating, but um, I'm also, it's all about growth, right? Because if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're dying in business, that means someone else is about to take your business.
If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Reach out to me on any of my social media channels. You will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. I love that, man. I think that that's excellent stuff. It's just like the fights, you know, where they, they, they only watch the replays when they're losing, when they're winning and like, it's all good. I don't have to change anything. And then they lose a fight and they're like, we got to switch coaches. We got to change my diet. Like it's, you know, if you do these genuine adjustments along the way, you don't have to make big adjustments later. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's just, it's just, it's, it, it's the way it works, you know, it just, you've got to, oh man, it's just, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you have to be careful and make sure that critique does not come across as criticism, right? You have to make sure that you tell everybody, look, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying what if, you know, we do $200 million next month, right? <laughs> instead of, instead of a hundred million. But, but the point is I've been in business long enough to know that if my team is stretching to get 110, $120 million done in a month, and I have goals of getting to two, 250, $300 million a month, I've got to grow the team before I grow the business. Otherwise, I'm going to have a bad customer experience, and, and, and or I got to grow the technology stack, or I've got to grow. You know, so the point is, when you're watching the tapes, you're like, oh my gosh, processing department is overwhelmed. The processing department, you know, these files they're spending 32 days on average in cycle, and 21 of them are in processing. Right? What tools can I find to get them? more efficient and so if you don't ask the right questions even when you're winning what will happen is uh anything in your business that may be less than optimized will, will, will if you achieve the success you desire all of your flaws will, will be visible right so uh that's why it's just big to me you always go back you look and you take the time to celebrate but then you look at what needs to be done to make sure that anything that wasn't perfect uh, gets closer to perfect. And what does growth look like and what do you need to do to prepare for it? Man, I'm so happy you said that. I've seen so many businesses that all the people want to do is grow, 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 grow. And they don't take any consideration to make sure their foundation's good. And then their boat is halfway in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And now they realize like, oh shit, I have all these holes in my boat. It's like, man, like, Get those things first because you can scale up all you want, but if you don't have enough of a foundation to maintain all that extra weight you put on, it's going to collapse right underneath itself. Well, and a lot of people confuse growth and scale, right? Growth is increasing business uh, at the cost of even profit, right? Like you're just, you're trying to grow. You're not worried about profit. Scale is growing the business and the profit, right? And, and, and that's hard to do. That's the phase that we at RCN Capital are in, right? Like, we don't want to 
grow for the sake of growing, right? We need to grow. We need to capture market share. We need to do it in a profitable, responsible manner. And, uh, and it, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to do it that way when you're making ROI based decisions. Right. Uh, but that's the, that's the responsible thing to the partners and the shareholders and, and, and the ownership. And, and, uh, uh, it's the responsible thing to my team as well, because if we go out of business, they don't have a job, right? And, uh, and, and we take that, you know, we've got nearing a 300-person company now. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's just very important that we, uh, you know, we, we, we take care of the team and we maintain a profit, profit margin while growing. Okay. I think that's awesome, man. So uh, pivoting now, RCN Capital, I, I – I feel like right now the people that hold all the cards in the market for what's going to happen, what's currently happening, and having the best indicators of actual data, not lagging data, are the lenders because fundability drives the market and you, sir, are on the front line. So I love to hear about, A, like what is RCN Capital doing right now? And then maybe getting into some of the loans you're doing for investors and how important getting funding is right now in this changing market. Yeah, man. Uh, so RCN, we'll, we'll do... 7,000 loans this year to investors. And let's just call it uh, 5,000 of those will be 30-year fixed single-family investment rental properties. Uh, right now, those loans are pricing out in the low sixes, high fives on a 30-year fixed around 70, 75 LTV. Uh, they're actually cheaper than homeowner loans because there's a prepayment penalty. Uh, so investors are gobbling them up. Uh, we do fix and flip financing. Uh, we're not hard money, right? You actually will have to fill out some paperwork, but we're cheaper than hard money. We're, you know, you're only going to pay one or two points instead of four. You're only going to pay, you know, 10 or 11% instead of 13 or 14. So uh, we, we get pretty high leverages, like eight, it's like 85 or 90% of the purchase price and then 100% of the rehab. Um, and, um you know, uh, that's it's going well. I want to grow the fix and flip side. I want to I want to finance more Burr investors. Uh, I really feel like that's a, a kind of the, the that sustainable growth um, is is really getting integrated with the active rental investors. Um, but when you look at these loans across the nation, what's been interesting is and and challenging uh, is the average loan amounts going down. Uh, the average loan amount's going down because interest rates impact the ability to cash flow. So what happens is investors are buy buying smaller houses. Investors aren't doing major renovations right now, right? They, they, they need to keep their timeline short. So uh, we're seeing loan amounts go down. Uh, we're seeing a uh, uh, little less fix and flip activity and a little more rental activity. Um, and, you know, but overall market confidence, I mean, we are going gangbusters in the Southeast and the Northeast. I mean, there is a lot of demand. People still want to get out of the cities, but they want to be near the cities. And uh, a lot of these loans are in, in affordable communities surrounding major metros. Man, that has always been my bread and butter model. I remember years ago competing with Blackstone and all these, these different places, like in the city of Atlanta. And then I was like, but they're not buying like on the outskirts. 
So I could hit this house with a tennis ball in Smyrna or Decatur, and I don't have the competition of the other major markets, and people are close enough that they can commute back and forth to work. And eventually those markets go up, not down, because the stability of the major market, man. So I've always thought that that was like a gold mine going into those like suburbs, hour, hour and a half outside of those major cities. I think that that's uh, amazing and timely advice. Well, and it, it, it's going to continue to grow because I, I've been saying for about a year now, replacement cost is kind of the new low comp, right? Like, I mean, if you can't rebuild the house for that, uh, you're, you know, you, you're not going to, uh, you, you, it's not going to go below that dollar amount. Um, and a lot of those, uh, not even secondary, really suburban markets, uh, you know, you, you've seen just immense growth in the last couple of years because people now are willing to, I think people prioritize the house, the yard, the dog uh, a little more now than they did before uh, 2020. Agree with that a thousand percent. And you, you touched on the birth strategy. I think you were doing this a little while ago. I don't know if you still are, but are you looking or currently offering something where somebody can get into something that they can add some value and then burr out and you can actually get them into the acquisitions loan and then into the refinance on the burr as well? Yeah, uh, we offer some discounts if you do both loans with us. What we can't do is give a full commitment on the loan. Uh, and, and, and the reason is with changing interest rates, and me not having control over how long you take on the loan, I mean, on the project, it, it creates more problems than it solves. You end up um, – um, you know, you end up getting into arguments about, well, you said you would cash me out at 150 and now you're saying 140 It's like, well, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, the interest rate when you started a year ago was <laughs> – you know, 4% and it's six now. So I can't give you that loan. So we will do both sides of the transaction. We do reward people, uh, you know, with interest rebates and things of that nature uh, for doing both loans with us. But uh, it, it, it's, I'll tell you this, it's a strategy that we are very focused on and uh, I'm going to continue to grow that, that, uh, that kind of offering. I love that. Actually, hold up. So a couple of quick yeah, things now on, sure. the, on, the, on the lending side of it. One of them is I know DSCR loans are a big thing that everybody's looking to get right now. When you're looking at DSCR loans, are your parameters changing with the market? Because I feel like, again, you guys see what's happening now. And I know rates adjust when people have uncertainty in a market a little bit. So I'm interested if what types of changes are you seeing that investors can prepare for so they can be more fundable when they come to you with the deal? So a couple of weeks ago, I'm at a mastermind and somebody's like, oh, we need that 80% loan back. And uh, I said, yeah, great, dude. You start buying houses at 80% again, and I'll start loaning at 80% again. And he laughed, but he, like we had to lower our max loan to values the same way investors had to lower what they were offering, right? Uh, so I think that's been the biggest change since the interest rate thing for the last 18 months is uh, – you know, you used to be able to cash out at 80%. That's not happening anymore. Uh, you used to, because we're in a declining home home price uh, time. So, you know, nobody, we, we don't want to give you an 80% loan and take it back. Um, 
and uh, and then it's only a, then it becomes a ninety percent loan. Uh, a little more, a little more focus uh, on liquidity. Just making sure that investors have enough money to finish the project. And then, you know, I used to, we used to really, everything was really focused on a 36 month experience. Like how experienced were you in the last 36 months? Right now, I care a lot more about what you've done in the last 12 months. Um, you know, have you shifted? Did you pay off all your inventory? Did you stiff someone? Uh, uh, did you get in foreclosure? Even, you know, did did you switch from wholesaling to fix and flip, and now you're killing it, right? Like, because you give me someone that has been actively flipping for the last six months and making money, and that is someone that made the shift, made the pivot, and is a very safe loan. You show me someone that, you know, was stubborn and held a property all the way through, you know, 2022 and still owns the daggum thing and wants to refinance it at what it was worth last March. Like, that's not a loan I get too excited about, Nick. That makes perfect sense, man. And having had those cards in your hands now, one of the last things I want to ask about that, what do you see happening over the next six to 12 months in the real estate industry? Well, you know me, I'm never shy about my opinions. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think the Fed is pretty much done raising rates. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of pain in the consumer markets. Uh, credit card debt has reached an all-time high. Auto delinquencies are up. Um, there's a lot of pain. Savings rates are down. There's a lot of pain out there that is being felt but isn't being fully understood yet. Um, I think the Fed knows that, and so I feel like that they're, they're going to hold off on raising rates uh, June, July. But people have to understand is that doesn't mean they're going to lower rates, right? Everybody, we may back off this federal funds rate sometime next year in 24, but I don't see them lowering rates this year. It's going to take a while for the inflation uh, that's entrenched in our economy to kind of work its way out. Um, and I actually am now pretty hopeful that we're going to achieve that soft landing they talked about, you know, two years ago. Um, we may be able to avoid recession even. Uh, and even if they keep rates the same, what will happen is 30-year homeowner mortgages will come down. Uh, and the reason is the 30-year homeowner mortgage is based really off the 10-year treasury bill. And normally, the 30-year mortgage is about, you know, 1.6 to 1.8% higher than the 10-year treasury. Well, right now, it's 3% higher. And the reason is these lenders are assuming that rates will be lower in the next couple of years and that people are going to start refinancing, right? Because why would you keep an 8% loan if you can go get a 6? Like that equals, you know, good business. So um, what will happen is once rates uh, at the Fed level go kind of level, then things will start to stabilize. Then the spread can come down. So I, I think we're going to see 55 to 5.8% 
uh, homeowner mortgages um, at the end of the year. And the funny thing is, that's a great rate. Now, <laughs> we don't know. We forget that because, you know, of all these 28 and 2.5% rates. But uh, I think the market stabilizes. I would love to see the homeowner paper stabilize in the high fours, low fives. I would love to see the uh, DSCR paper stabilize low, low sixes, high fives. I feel like that disparity would be good. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I, I think values have finished dropping. Um, a lot of houses are quote unquote worth 20% less than they were this time last year. Uh, but that doesn't mean a lot to me because most of those houses had a 20% run up last year, right? So they're really kind of back to where they were in January of last year, um, which is okay. Uh, it would, that's still like a 40% increase in most places in five years. <laughs> um, you know, uh, homeowner equity is good. Mortgage delinquencies are not as bad as people want to make them out to be. Uh, they use all this percent increase. It's just, you know, foreclosures aren't up. They're not even back to historical normals. Uh, and at the end of the day, we have more people on this earth today than we did yesterday. And we will have more people on this earth next month than we have this month. And the population is growing. The global pandemic did not put a dent in it. And people are living longer. So if people are living longer, they're going to work longer. If they work longer, every year that you got, they got to make more money. So they're going to work longer, live longer, work longer, make more money, and there'll be more of them. So anyone that thinks that we can, quote, unquote, stop printing money, it's absurd. You're going to have to have more money because there's going to be more people that are making more money and are working longer. So you've got to have more money. Now, we probably shouldn't print $3 trillion a year, right? But uh, inflation is one of those things. It's baked into the equation. It's going to happen. You may have a down year. You may have an up year. But any, in my opinion, it's why people are buying houses right now. I mean, uh, investors, it's why there's so much rental home, uh, DSCR loan activity. Uh, right now, get a house at cash flows, buy it. Can't guarantee it'll be worth more in a year, but most likely it will be. And uh, I can I can guarantee you it'll be worth more in five years. I'll guarantee 10 years. Uh, highly, highly, highly probable it'll be worth uh, double in 10 years. But that's just the way it works. That's my, it's been that way for 50 years since we've been watching, you know, home values. You may have a down year, you may have two down years, but ultimately, uh, you know, the cream rises to the top. Wise words, sir. It's one of those things where like the, the, the common theme I'm hearing from all the masterminds and stuff we're in is like the worst thing you can do right now, the riskiest thing you could do right now is sit on the sidelines and not buy because real estate's very forgiving over time. And with people like you out there that are giving loans that can help people get into houses and they're doing it with integrity. I love that. I think now is the best time in history to be a real estate investor for the people that want to get involved in that. They're looking for loans, they're looking for somebody good to connect with. What are all the ways they can find you for loans, all the different ways they connect with you, with your podcast, with your business? Talk all the things to marriage. Yeah, man. Uh, so I host the Uncontested Investing Podcast. It, we, we put it out at 8 a.m. Central Time every uh, Tuesday, uh, different guests every week. It's about a 30 to 45-minute uh, show. Um, I just, I'm just leveraging everybody I know in the industry, bringing them in. 
asking them the right questions. It's funny. A lot of times we don't even talk much about real estate. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a lot about being an entrepreneur. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm really easy to find on social media. Tim Harridge, uh, H-E-R-R-I-A-G-E. Uh, and I'm the only one there is. So if you go find at Tim Harridge on all the platforms, it's me. Uh, and then um, RCN Capital, it's RCN underscore, underscore capital uh, on all the uh, uh, major social media outlets. You know, we've, we've been putting out a lot of content. I, I've really enjoyed putting out content, taking these podcast episodes and clipping them down into the short form content. And uh, then like next week, I'm going to be at the IMN conference down in Miami. And, you know, we'll pull like hedge fund people out and like interview them. And we're going to, you know, provide that as content. Uh, I believe in giving without expectation. So if there's anything I can do, I'm more than happy to book a 15 minute call with anyone. Uh, and, you know, uh, just hit me up on socials and, and someone from the team will get with you. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it's rcncapital.com is our website. Timharridge.com is my personal blog, but reach out, get in touch and just tell us how we can help. Um, and I tell the listeners, the same thing I tell motivated sellers when I go buy a house, right? If I can't buy, if I can't help you with your loan, I'll point you in the right direction. And I make referrals all the time and I don't get compensated for them. I'm not interested in that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in paying forward uh, with resources because ultimately we skipped this part, but you know, the local RIA and the people that were willing to help me is the reason I'm sitting in this chair today. And so I like to do the same. I love that, man. And for anybody listening, definitely check the show notes. I'll have all the live links for all the ways to connect with you, connect with your company, listen to the podcast and find ways to stay in touch and watch all the great content you've been putting out. You, sir, for the last 13, 14 years that I've known you have always bought your A-game to everything you've done. This interview has been no different. You definitely bought your A-game for the last hour. Any final thoughts before I let you go about your day, sir? You know, I, I, the final thoughts, I've been trying to spread this message is the book Ed Milet wrote, The Power of One More, is a great book. And um, I had been saying it a couple months before I even heard the book. When I look back at 23 years, people say, what, what would I have done different or what do I regret? The answer is one more. And that means if you plan to buy one house this year, buy two. If you plan to buy one house this month, buy two. If you aren't going to keep any houses for rentals, keep one. Um, because time is your friend and it's also your enemy. Um, because once time expires, you don't get it back. And, uh, cause if I, if I kept one more house over my career, um, you know, you, you, you're probably looking at eight to $10 million worth of real estate, uh, that, you know, I was buying for now, of today's prices. When I got started, we were buying for, 20 cents on the dollar, 30 cents on the dollar, uh, 20 years ago based off today. So, you know, my, my, my last piece of advice is whatever it is you're thinking about doing, do it and do one more of it. Uh, and, and, uh, when you're, when you got a gray beard, you'll, uh, be glad you did. That's awesome words, man. I appreciate you coming on, been a big fan for a long time. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks in Texas. Have a great day, Tim Harris, ladies and gentlemen.